Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Dr. Clive Wynn is the founding director and principal investigator of Arizona State University's Canine Science Collaboratory, as well as a professor of psychology at the university. In the fall of 2019, Clive released a book entitled Dog is Love, Why and How Your Dog Loves You that looked at how affection is the very essence of dogs. He had help in writing the book from his own dog, Zephos, who helped him form a greater understanding of the human-to-dog relationship. So, Clive, welcome to Dog Save the People. I'm thrilled to have you. Where are we speaking to you from? I'm presently in the front room of my house in Tempe, Arizona. Beautiful. So, Clive, you are not originally from Arizona. No, I am definitely not, John. <laughs> I I was born and grew up on a small island off the south coast of England called the Isle yep. of Wight, long sure. ago and far away. And I studied in London and I got my PhD in Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland. Yeah. And then oof, 30 plus years ago, I started on my travels. I've lived and worked in Germany, in Australia, and now for coming on towards 20 years, I've been based in the United States. Now, can you tell me a little bit about your work? I have many, many questions, but when I was reading parts of your bio, it completely went over my head. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a behavioral scientist, a psychologist, and the cause and center of my fascination is basically the question, what makes dogs special? That's what I want to know. I want to understand how this animal, you know, this really fairly kind of puny, fairly kind of ordinary little (laughs) carnivore came to be the most widespread and numerous larger mammal on the surface of this planet. There are something like one billion, billion with a B, dogs on the surface of this planet. No other larger mammal comes anywhere close. So what's what's the deal? Why how did they how did they pull this off, you know? I mean you go out into the you go out into the forest, there are bears, big bears, and there are wolves and goodness knows what, right? Yeah. How come this little beastie that obviously would instantly lose a fight with a wolf or a bear or whatever, how did they get to be so successful? That's the question that motivates me. And uh, so my group and I, we study every angle of dog behavior. And obviously, I mean, at a certain level, everybody already knows the answer, right? The answer to dog success is that they threw in their lot with us. It's the fact that they hitchhike along with us that (laughs) has made them so successful. So how did they do that? What is it about them? There's a lady walking her dog right past my house as I'm talking to you. Um, (laughs) How did they pull that off? What's the secret of their success? How did they talk us into taking care of them? What are your thoughts? Okay. All right. So I don't think... Now, this is this is the bit where everybody's, everybody bristles at me. I know there are smart dogs out there, right? Yes. I, have met, I have met the dog that the BBC... The BBC calls the world's smartest dog. I have met some very intelligent dogs. And yet, I do not believe that it is dogs' intelligence that makes them stand out. I've studied other species. When I lived in Australia, I studied marsupials. You know, a lot of animal psychologists study rats because they're just handy and cheap and easy to get hold of. You can teach a rat a lot of the same things you can teach a dog. You know, there are just like there are sniffer dogs, people have trained rats to sniff out explosives too. So I don't believe that dogs have any special kind of intelligence. 
I think that the secret of dog success in human society is that they have an unparalleled, unlimited, astonishing ability, drive, desire to form strong emotional bonds with members of other species. And crucially, that other species is us. Now, dogs can fall in love with anything. And I visited goat ranches in the northeast of Arizona, and they have dogs that take care of their goats. How do they achieve this? How do they motivate the dogs to take care of the goats? When they're puppies, they put them with goats. Anything that a dog pup meets in the first three months of life, it will go through the rest of its life looking for that kind of being and seeking to form emotional bonds with them. So, of course, primarily that happens with us. Any dog that sees hears, smells people in the first three months of its life, will go through the rest of its life looking to form emotional bonds with people. And that, I believe, is the secret of their success. That is how they got to be so numerous, so successful, because they understand us at an emotional level. And of course, we understand them. I mean, I find it really interesting that although dogs express their emotions in many ways that we humans cannot and would not do i mean the most obvious is the dog's tail we don't have tails we don't use any other part of our body the way dogs use their tails i mean you could take your right arm and every time you're happy you could raise your right arm and wag it around right and every time you're scared or or sad you could take your right arm and you could tuck it between your legs but nobody would do that right right so we understand their emotional expressions and they seem to understand ours. And the result is that we can have these beautiful, mutually loving and understanding relationships. I love it. Now, did you grow up with dogs? I did, John. So when I was a kid, we had a dog called Benji. And I, I tell the story of Benji in my book, Doggy's Love, Why and How Your Dog Loves You. Benji was a very important companion to me during my teenage years. You know, those years when you feel that nobody understands you. Oh, yeah. You know, how difficult it is to blah, 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 blah. And yet I had this dog. You know, Benji was just a small brownish mutt. You know, it wasn't wasn't anything fancy. But he had that ability to connect emotionally with me and with the other members of my family. And he is a very very important individual, a very important person. I'm going to say he was a person in my, in my childhood. He was, a, he was a true dear friend, just as the dog I have now is a true dear friend to me. And so through your studies and through the years of your career, did you have dogs all along or has it just been recent? Well, so because I've traveled a lot internationally in my life and had extensive phases where I wasn't really sure where I was staying in one country or what I was doing, I've had long stretches with dogs, and I've also had some quite extensive stretches without dogs. And so the dog that we have now, Zephos, who's been with us for eight years, she was the first dog I had after probably a decade where I didn't have a dog in my life. And she's actually been very important to me in helping me understand dogs because the first so many years that I was studying dogs, I didn't actually have a dog in my own life. And so at one level, if you're a scientist, you don't need to have the object of your scientific study around you in your home, right? Most scientists don't do that. I mean, when I think of my years studying marsupials in Australia, I didn't have pet marsupials. It wouldn't be a good (laughs) idea to have a pet marsupial. So it didn't seem intrinsically strange not to have a dog in my own home. But on the other hand, because what dogs are and what they achieve is so tied up with how they live with people, 
it was in fact very eye-opening to get a dog and to come home and to have that life with the companionship of a, of a dog. When I started studying dogs, I was mainly interested in looking at this possibility that dogs had special kinds of intelligence. And my students and I did several years of study before we convinced ourselves that this could not actually be what it was that made dogs successful. And so there came a point where I knew what I did not believe, but I wasn't sure what I did believe. And so people called me the Debbie Downer of dog behavior <laughs> because I was always going around to people saying, no, 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 no. It's not like that. It's not like that. <laughs> but of course, you can't just go around saying it. No, you have to say, well, what, what if it's not like that? What is it like? Right. What is the secret of dog success? If it's not their intelligence, what is it? And it's not an exaggeration to say that it was bringing Zephos into our lives that made me realize this. You come home to a dog and the dog has something very, very definite to say to you. When you've been out all day and you come home, I have a dog, a cat, a wife, and a teenage son. And if I come home after I've been away, I say, hi, I'm home. And if I'm lucky, my <laughs> wife will grunt from wherever she is. <laughs> my teenage son, you know, who knows whether he'd be awake. The likelihood of anything from him is very slim, roughly the same as the likelihood of any kind of response from our cat. But the dog, the dog, you hear her claws skidding on the wood floor as she sprints from wherever she's been sleeping because she has to get to me. She has to reestablish our bond. She has to let me know how important it is that I'm back, you know, and you come home to that and it doesn't take long to start thinking, well, hey, is there a way to make a scientific study out of how dogs feel about their people? Because this is a really striking phenomenon here. Wow, God, that is so, it's so true. Even if I'm away for a half hour, sometimes I'll come back and it's as though my dogs hadn't seen me in, in years. Well, John, we once had a TV crew come and visit me and wanted to film how my dog would react when I came home. But we were already right. in my home, the TV right. crew, me, the dog, we were all in the house. So they said, hey, Clive, you know, why don't you go outside and we can't stay here all day. We'll give it five minutes. <laughs> so I only went out for five minutes. And nonetheless, when I came back, Zephos was pretty extravagantly pleased to see me oh, again. Love it. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about how did you how did you come to meet Zephos? This is back when I was at the University of Florida and I was living in Gainesville, Florida. Okay. And actually, my wife and son and I, you know, it's got to be a family decision, right? It's got yes. to be a family decision. And we all agreed we wanted a dog. And my birthday was coming up. And so my wife and son, sort of as a gag, decided that they would surprise me, in inverted commas, with a dog. And this is actually an important thing to stop and think about because I know people are sometimes tempted to surprise another person with a gift of a dog. But yes. you should never do that. You should yeah. never, ever do that. So this was this was all with me knowing exactly what they were doing. But they went off to one of our local shelters in, in Gainesville. There are a couple or three shelters there. And they visited and they came across this little dog. And uh, she was already one year old. She'd already lived in another family. And they had for... We have no idea why they had given her up. They'd rejected her and she seemed absolutely lovely. And we brought her home. And the first few weeks or months, I'll admit that we thought, well, if somebody else had rejected her, 
there must be some problem. A couple yeah, of weeks, exactly. couple of months, we're on the lookout. Something's going to happen. She's going to, one day, she's going to do something bad and we'll realize why they gave her up. Never happened. Never happened. She has been a perfect companion pretty much since the first day she arrived and she remains just completely easygoing. Why on earth anybody would have given her up, I have no idea. But there's also a moral to this story since a lot of the research work that my students and I do involves looking at dogs in shelters. And it turns out that actually, well, first off, get your next dog from a shelter because there are so many great dogs living in kennels and it's not their fault. They haven't done anything wrong at all. and They will make lovely companions when you bring them home. And most of the time, whatever problem somebody said they had with a dog If that dog is adopted by another family, they don't find the same problem. They can't find that problem. So, you know, it's a relationship thing. Think about it the same way you think about your human relationships. If you're young and dating, you wouldn't consider not dating somebody because they've dated other people before and it didn't work out, right? I mean, it's about compatibility. And the same with, with more regular friendships. You know, people have friendships. They become friends. They cease to be friends. There are all sorts of variables, all sorts of things going on. It's absolutely no reason to be suspicious. My goodness, I'm 58. If I was now to be suspicious of any potential new friend because they might have lost friends in the past, that would be crazy. There'd be nobody I could make friends with. (laughs) I agree. Now, tell me the background of, of your dog's name. So the very first book about dogs was written in 200 BC by an ancient Greek called Xenophon. And in English, it's called On Hunting with Hounds. It's a good book, especially if Uh you hunt. And I thought, wouldn't it be lovely to name our dog in honor of the great Greek Xenophon, the Athenian Xenophon. But my wife and even my son, who was only 10 at the time, they said, well, you know, it's kind of a dumb name for a dog. (laughs) And we'd feel stupid at the dog park shouting out, Xenophon, Xenophon. (laughs) So we went back and forth about it. And at the time, my son was watching these videos on YouTube where kids can watch other kids playing video games, which apparently is a whole thing now. And the kids who are playing the video games give themselves stage names, right? Right. And so one of them had the stage name Zephos. And so we agreed that we would call Zephos Zephos. I am allowed to tell people that Zephos is short for Xenophon, but uh, that's her name. That's a good compromise. That's a great name. Yeah. Well, so actually Xenophon himself gave advice on naming dogs. And he said the name of your dog should be two syllables and it should be something that is easy to shout in the forest. So I think Zephos actually fulfills Xenophon's criteria for dog names. There's a list at the end of the book of good names for dogs. When I was a kid, I got to name our dog. And I think it's a really wonderful thing for your son that that he got to basically come up with her name eventually. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's a teachable moment. Unfortunately, there are people who give their dogs names that are words in ordinary English. We have one friend who called his dog Maybe. Well, that's very, that's, but that's, I mean, it's funny, right? It's a good gag, yeah. but it's tough on the dog because we say that word many, many times while we're talking, and yet it doesn't have anything to do with the dog. You need your dog's name to be a sound that the dog only hears in contexts where it's important, right? You call your dog maybe, your dog's going to hear this sound thousands of times a day, oh, yes. and it's going to learn to ignore its own name. 
right? Because the dog doesn't understand anything about the context of a sound. It doesn't understand your speech. I love it. Yeah, I've got Rudy, Millie, and Hug. Okay. Uh, but they all seem to know their names pretty well now. Good, 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 good. Yes. So, Clive, tell me about your book, Dog is Love. So, yeah, John, Dog is Love is the story that I've already begun to sketch for you of how I've tried to understand what makes dogs special, how I started out investigating the claims that other people made that dogs had special forms of intelligence, how I found that that just didn't hold water. Not that dogs are stupid, but there's nothing special about their intelligence compared to what other animals can learn if they live under the same kinds of circumstances. Of course, most other animals, apart from maybe cats, don't usually live under those kinds of circumstances. But if an animal is raised by people and lives its whole life completely dependent on people, then it will develop the same kind of intelligence about understanding people that dogs do. There's nothing special about dogs' intelligence. So then I'm in the wilderness. I'm out there in the wilderness, unable to explain what makes dogs special. We get Zephos, and Zephos explains it to me. She says, look at me. What am I like? I'm a dog, and I love you. That's my thing. My thing is how much I love you and other beings like you. And so then... The question is, how do I turn this ishy, squishy thing, love, which is great for pop songs, not so obviously a scientific concept, how do I turn this into a topic that a scientist can approach? And that's the bulk of the book, is talking about the research my own students have done, where we're primarily behavioral people, so we study behavior. And a lot of the things we have done to investigate how dogs love people are very simple things that people could carry out for themselves. But then also we've collaborated with geneticists. We've actually found three genes that mutated in the journey from wolf to dog. All of our dogs are descended from wolves. Three genes mutated in the journey from wolf to dog that contribute to dogs loving nature. And then I also talk about research from all around the world that explore how love is programmed into dogs at many different levels of analysis. So the genes, that's the DNA, that's the blueprint, that's the deepest possible level of biological explanation. But we also see evidence for how dogs love in their hormones. We see it in brain scans where we can see brain activity. Uh, There's actually a beautiful study from Australia on heartbeat and how dogs and their people, their hearts literally beat as one. Their hearts beat in synchrony when they come together. So at multiple levels, research groups all around the world, and that all connects up to this picture of how what makes dogs exceptional is it's sort of crazy, right? I mean, if you stop and think about it, if you met a person who loved you... (laughs) like your dog loves you or who, you know, my dog, many dogs, she loves almost anybody. John, if you were to show up here, she'd be very happy to see you, you know, Uh, to a degree of trusting love that, you know, maybe not wise. I mean, I'm sure you're a great guy, but you know, I mean, she'll trust anybody. She doesn't anyway. It's funny because my dog hug, um, he's a Bernese mountain dog. He basically would go off with anybody. If somebody walked in the door and called his name, he would leave me forever. And that's, but I, that's what I love about him. He, yeah. he, he got his name because he would jump up and hug people. Oh, gorgeous. And basically anyone on the street, he'll just jump up and hug them. And it's such a wonderful thing because it brings out so much in the other people. Right, right, right. So, John, what's uh, what we discovered with these genes, there is, in fact, a very, very rare genetic syndrome in human beings, and it's called Williams-Buren syndrome. 
People with Williams-Buren syndrome behave exactly like that. When they're kids, you cannot explain to them the idea of stranger danger. They cannot conceive that anybody could mean them harm. They are absolutely and totally loving. And it turns out that they have genetic mutations that cause this, that are the exact same genetic mutations that are responsible for dogs ha- also having this wow. super open-hearted nature. Isn't that amazing? Oh Isn't God. that amazing? How did you f- come upon this part? Well, so I'm a behaviorist, behavioral psychologist, but yeah. I try, I try and keep up with all the science that has to do with dogs, even mm-hmm. if it's domains of science that are not my background. So I read the genetics. And a paper came out by a young geneticist, Bridget von Holt, where she went through all of the genes of the dog and lined them up alongside all of the genes of the wolf. And of course, there are very, very few differences because dogs only derived from wolves 15, 20, at most 30,000 years ago. So not many differences. But she found that there was one area of the genetic material where dogs had diverged from wolves. And that area of the genes in humans, if there's damage to it, leads to this Williams-Buren syndrome. And so one of my students, now collaborator, Monique Udell at Oregon State University, she met Bridget von Holt and the three of us got to talking and we carried out a study. We completed some very simple tests of basically affection in dogs and we carried out the exact same tests in hand-reared wolves. I'm associated with Wolf Park in Indiana, where they've been hand-rearing wolves since 1974. So they're really, really good at it. They have the friendliest wolves you will ever find anywhere on the planet. And we carried out the same tests on the dogs and the wolves. And then we sent DNA samples, just mouth swabs, to Bridget von Holt at Princeton University. And she did the genes. And we were able to pin down that out of the 28, I think it is, genes that are involved in Williams syndrome, these three are the ones that mutated from wolf to dog. And there are independent studies that show that in humans, it is at least two of these three genes are what make Williams syndrome people so exceptionally friendly. Wow, that's fascinating. I think I've met some of those people <clears throat> along the way. I must have. That, that really is actually incredible. Well, I was uncertain, John, how the parents of Williams syndrome children would feel about our discovery. I was a little nervous that they might view it as insulting, that we would be sort of saying that their kids are like dogs. It sounds potentially upsetting. But when we published our research findings, a journalist got on to the president of the Williams syndrome parents association of the United States. And I was thrilled to hear that he wasn't insulted at all. And it made perfect sense to him. And he was quoted as saying, I always knew if our kids had tails, they'd be wagging them. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. And that's a wonderful, wonderful way for us to slowly wind this down. And where can we find you in the world of social media? I'm on Facebook, Clive Wynn, Twitter at Canine Cognition. And my website, which also connects back to these, is clivewin.com. So if people can just spell my name, I'm really easy to find. And that's W-Y-N-N-E. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Clive, it's been a real joy to speak with you. I learned so much today, and uh, I'm just going to go hug my dogs now. And can't wait to see where you go next with all of this. Thank you, John. This was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed myself. Take care. 
It was fascinating to hear about the dog and human relationship from the perspective of an expert like Clive. And I love that he has been able to find this way to kind of codify the love of dogs and really what they're about, but also experience something through his own dog and learn and really combine those two things. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio. It's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media. For the dog days of summer, during July and August, we will be posting every other Tuesday. I'll be spending a lot more time with my dogs, and I hope you will be too. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.